Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The hair's looking good, man. I like it. <laughs> there we go. Thanks. We're in business. Yeah, I've, right, I've, been, I've been embracing the gray as well, and um, I like it. I think it kind of gives us an air of sophistication and distinction. Right. I like to, <laughs> trying to fool people. It's like I, it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep these grays, and maybe it'll trick people into thinking uh, <laughs> I'm actually uh, just a tiny bit sophisticated. Actually, I've started. I thought about. It, I was I was gonna debut. Uh, my like re my glass so we can go kind of the shades or we can do this and just go full on just embrace it yeah there we go mate i'm right there every step of the way these aren't actually real like glasses these are blue blockers is what these are called oh, okay nice designed to lessen the harsh shine of the computer screen because as i'm sure you'll be fully aware um when you spend all day doing zooms at the end of the day you've just got and all oh, right and it hits you dude it's so good to see you man we used to do loads of interviews together when i was with kerrang radio scuzz tv and there was like a period right. of a good a good few years where it was like back to back constant and i don't think we've had a chat i was trying to remember the last time i think it was 2016 for the last um the last year the last hero old bridge record yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think that was it and we had an amazing chat then um your manager tim was there that day i remember him being there great dude 
Um, yeah, I think, great. Is it Tim? Are you still with Tim? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tim's awesome, man. He's he's yeah, great he's, guy. He's a super addition to the. You know, before I go, I'm gonna put on the the old ones here. Well, because they actually, I've got the things here so I can see you, but but it's kind of bright in here, and that, that's why people are like, oh, he's wearing these like sunglasses things because he thinks he's cool. No, it's actually because it's bright. <laughs> I've got my curtains drawn, dude. That's how bright it is in the UK. You'd have never really? known. Sweet. But yeah, yeah, that was the last time we saw each other, uh, and it was with Tim. It wasn't technically the last time I saw you, because the last time I saw you, we didn't speak, but the last time I saw you is the story I'd like to start off with. One of my favorite moments of the last few years, one of my good friends in this universe is a man by the name of Whitfield Crane. And you were at the Houses of Parliament. Maybe you can explain why. I don't know why, but you and Slash were at the Houses of Parliament to do, I guess, an acoustic set to promote a Slash record. I think that was what was going on. Was that what was going on? I think that's what was going on. It might have been World on Fire. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And and I went to that event with Whit because he was in London at the time. He was kind of like, you know what Whit's like, backpack, credit card, passport, and he's off. And he was in London for an extended time. So we went to that event together. And then as we're leaving, I guess you and whoever was organizing this event, and I think Slash was there too, you were getting like the tour where, you know, normal people couldn't go. And as me and Whit are walking through, you and Whit like clock each other and you just go, Whitfield Crane, walk with me. And then <laughs> Whit turns to me and goes, I'll see you later, dude. And I was like, yeah, for sure. So you two just walked off into like the back rooms of the Houses of Parliament together. And it was just such a beautiful moment because I gathered you two hadn't seen each other in a while before that um, that moment. He's we actually were just uh, exchanging texts a couple days ago. He, he, he most definitely. And most people like yourself, we will all say the same thing. He's one of the great humans in this business. Like he's he's got this thing that is so unique and he's a special human and I love him and he's positive and he uh, he just I don't even know how to articulate other than Whitfield Crane rules. (laughs) Well, Duff McKagan brought him into Kerrang! Radio years ago. This is when Ugly Kid Joe first got back together after like 20 years, however long they were away. And Whit was just riding in the van with with Loaded, with Duff's band. It was was Loaded, Ugly Kid Joe, and Alice Cooper's Halloween Night of Fear tour package. And Duff comes in and he's like, oh, we brought Whit Crane with us. I think it was the first time I met him. No, we met a download for the first time. And this is like a couple of months later. And Duff's like, that guy, he's like a magic carpet ride, man. And that's what it's like, and that you just that's jump exact, on board. That's exact. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. It's a magic carpet ride. How Duff, did you I two met, meet? How did you get to know Whit? We met. He was in a band called Another Animal back in um, the early two thousand, or like mid. Wait, I would let's see. It was during the Blackbird era when we toured, and so it would be like two thousand eight, and. They were playing with us in the States and we just hit it off. You know, he's just, he was so, so positive and, and, and I actually learned from him as well because it, I was still at the phase as a front man. I was trying to kind of figure things out. Cause I was, I came into this whole, especially in alternate bridge as more of a songwriter. You know, I was the guy who for the most part just locked himself away and, and didn't, you know, I performed, but, but I was m- m- mostly honed in on writing and playing guitar and singing. And so learning how to be a front guy was, I was still trying to figure that out. And he would, 
he was really helpful in the beginning because he would critique, he'd watch, he'd watch the set and go, you shouldn't do that. Or you should do that more. It just, and like simple things. Like there's one thing he told me that really stuck with me. He's like, you should keep your, your brow down a little more. And I was like, wow. He goes, yeah, don't, don't put your head up so much. And I thought, what? And so I watched some footage. Like he's right. He's, there's something about it. He just has these, he understands like certain subtleties. Like it just, I don't know. He's so nobody I went else to, would I, think of that either. Nobody. No, no, no. So and uh, yeah, I, he he's he's just. I love the guy. I really do. He's a special one. He obviously had that experience. We won't talk about Whip for the whole chat. Don't worry. He um he obviously had that time. You know, touring the biggest arenas and stadiums in the world with Bon Jovi and Van Halen in that kind of like Titans of Rock era didn't he? Right. So, so he's comfortable in front of huge crowds. And yeah, it's interesting because he was the person who told me about you and your background as really like a guitar player first and foremost. And so many people know you just as this amazing vocalist through Alterbridge and obviously Slash. But Wit was the one who first sort of schooled me on your background. And I've just been diving down the rabbit hole in the lead up to today's chat in like your groups before Alterbridge and especially like the Mayfield stuff. That stuff's killer, man. It's oh, like thanks. it's it's got the hard rock thing, but it's it's a lot more soulful, isn't it? There's kind of that rhythm and blues influence and element. Were you always drawing from both ponds? Like, because your voice obviously is from that, you know, school of the kind of soulful rock singers as well. So was rock and soul and R and B was it always just part of the same kind of cocktail of influence from the start for you? Because people I think so. you as like the rock and metal guy, right? But there's yeah. a lot more going yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a good point. I think that now as a guitar player, I, I think what initially lit my fuse was, you know, seeing Eddie Van Halen or hearing Eddie Van Halen for the first time and Jimmy Page and all that. So, so that's where I initially started. But then as I was trying to figure out if I was going to be a singer, um, who to draw from and, I found myself going straight to Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye and, and, and I've always been a massive earth, wind and fire. fan. so that's kind of like where the inflections came from. And don't get me wrong. I still loved, you know, Robert Plant and, and because I'd listened to so much metal as a kid, you know, obviously Rob Halford was an influence and, and all of that. So yeah, it became this kind of uh, combination of things try and, and trying to, I was really interested in trying to integrate the soulful element into the rock thing, which was not reinventing the wheel, mind you. I mean, this is what has been going on for 50 years. You know, I listened to a guy like Paul Rogers, who's probably one of the greatest ever, and you can hear his soul influence and it's amazing, you know? But it's where it all comes from, isn't it? It all stems from the blues and like that kind of fifties, era um you know all all great western music is from that exact like window of time in the mid 50s where kind of rhythm and blues and blues i guess morphed into this brand new thing called rock and roll uh, and i always trip out when i hear like those early rock and roll artists because some of them little richard and jerry lee in particular still sound to me as like anarchic and untamed and exciting as anything that's around today like some of that I, stuff, don't get me wrong, does sound like a classic kind of dated period piece. But you hear Little Richard or Jerry Lee and you're like, oh, my God, this is like Marilyn Manson or the Sex Pistols or Eminem or any of this stuff. It's a shocking and vibrant still, right? Oh, yeah, it's it's totally timeless. And it's yeah, it's still I, I totally agree. Um, 
it is as dangerous as anything, you know, it's as dangerous as Gigi Allen. Well, it's not quite that dangerous, but <laughs> no, one was that dangerous. On, no one was defecating on stage, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the, the, I agree. I think that that era was, was, had such a profound impact and those trailblazers were so, I mean, it, we're going to look back on, on those folks as time goes on and just continue to, uh, I think they'll continue to have that place and, and, and be hopefully be recognized because without them, you know, none of these artists would exist really. What about grunge? Because you were obviously growing up in the nineties in Washington state. So you were right there, like in proximity to that scene. Were you a, a part of it in any way? Were you at any of those kind of iconic shows? Were you, influenced or interested in that particular style of music at that time because you know the mayfield stuff sounds very different but it was obviously around i imagine the same key players like you must have had peripheral you know common ground with with a lot of those bands so was grunge on your radar were you in that world at all it was definitely on the radar it was hard for it not to be you know in yeah, the late i guess so yeah <laughs> yeah right i mean we're, we're about four and a half hours from seattle where i live here in spokane um and i did you know it was interesting because i i remember seeing some of those bands uh in the late 80s before they broke you know allison chains used to come open for the national bands when they tour through town here i remember seeing them play at a hotel called i think it was called cavanaugh's and and the there's a band called the bullet boys they were an la band very influenced by the early van halen stuff and they were they were a cool band and uh alston chains opened the show and you're like well you know what is this and they were they were different it was it was the songs were more up tempo um it was a she was a short set but from what i remember it was it was it was really cool and and uh i think they had the song called queen of the rodeo which was really great uh and that was kind of like their calling card there for a while. Oh, you've heard Queen of the Rodeo. It's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and so then, you know, three years later, everything just, every, all those bands blow up. Um, so that was really inspiring for all of us on the other side of the hill. But, I, you know, interestingly enough, I tried, I think what I respected about that whole scene is it was their scene and they developed their sound. And that was part of what intrigued me about continuing to absorb a lot of R&B and trying to figure out a way to make to find my own sound but it took a long time and i definitely you know i i there were periods of 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 listening to too much of a certain artist and then finding that it was influencing you too much and so it's all a balance you're ultimately it's a musical potpourri and you're fine it's 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 it's, a, it's it's like cooking you're trying to use just the right ingredients just the right amount and to not be too derivative and so that that was an ongoing thing for me but yeah i mean we played a lot of the same clubs those bands played we um jeez um it was it was a, it was a really exciting time it really was just just something that i i don't know if we'll ever see to that degree because it was a it became a cultural movement as well it wasn't just music i mean they, they affected everything F fashion suddenly you're seeing all these models wearing flannel and i mean it was just like it was such a big thing so it was cool to know that that happened in seattle it was everything wasn't it it was cinema yeah fashion as you said art photography um and and i think you're right i think with the internet because you know before it scenes could like grow and incubate and then when they get discovered they've had all this time 
to formulate and develop, right? And then they're just ready to pop. That's when the rest of the world finds out and it's like, boom. Whereas now, because everything is like constantly covered, nothing can really like gestate in the dark, hidden away, can it? So it's not like all of a sudden we're going to discover this whole new scene of, of bands or filmmakers or anything because everybody's work is always on everybody's radar now from the get-go. That's, that's a great point. I, I hadn't thought about that. And I think that's true. There, 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 there's really no way for once something is cool, immediately the, you know, someone can capture it on a phone and it can go viral, but it may not have refined. It may not be refined vision quite yet. It may, it may be in that, that in that embryonic phase where it's like, oh, this is going to be special, but then it doesn't have time to, to blossom the way it might have, like the Seattle scene that had years to to blossom and then become this, you know, incredible force in in pop culture. Who would have been your peers then, Miles, around that time in the in the musical community? Were there bands that you would tour with regularly that we would now know? Were the Creed guys on the same scene? Is that how you well, kind of got first it, connected with some of them? Yeah, the Creed. So they were obviously from the other other side of the country, and they were like the um, obviously influenced by a lot of what was happening in in Seattle. Um, and so, in the latter half of the '90s, they were part of that movement. There were a few bands. There was another band called Days of the New. There were there were there were actually quite a few who were taking that initial wave and then their interpretation of it. Um, so with the Mayfield Four, we were i think it was 98 summer of 98 and we they were just starting to take off and we hooked up with them for a tour of the states for about a month and uh that's yeah that was where we initially connected and then five years later you know hey i'm gonna come to florida and sing some songs and you know so that's that's how that connection uh, that's really how alter bridge i guess eventually would come to be the start of many amazing sidewinding chapters in your incredibly prolific and, and diverse and interesting career. Um, just very quickly to kind of stay for one final topic of conversation on the Mayfield Four. What happened with that band? Because you obviously you had two records out, both really good records, both on Epic, which would have been a huge deal. Um, and and what happens? Does the band like implode? Does something, you know, kind of go on behind the scenes? Why does that band reach its conclusion? Well, we discovered how the music industry works. And, you know, when you're young, a young artist and you think, oh, if I could just get a record deal, that would be like the be all end all. And what you discover very quickly is that only about three to five percent of bands ever even recoup their their advance and what it takes to make the record and so on and so forth. And you realize that so much of it is. I don't even know how to, I'm trying to, I try, I try to be delicate with how I explain this. <laughs> you take your time, brother. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to come across as like, it's tricky. So what we, I will say this, we, we, we made two records that we were proud of, um, but certain people that were involved as we got signed at the, before we even met our first record were suddenly not involved by the time the record was finished. And once that happens, you lose certain champions within the label. And then you basically, you know, you're kind of, it's the age old story. I've heard that story from nearly everybody. Like the guy who gets you in with the label, then he's fired or, you know, there's a reshuffle. And then all of a sudden your champion in the corner has gone. 
and you're just yeah. lost in the ether of fucking all these other acts, but they've got, you know, 20 absolute juggernauts way above you in the pecking order. And so exactly. you just kind of get pushed to the side and yeah. And you're, you become a tax write off, <laughs> yeah. 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 you know, and, and, and that was fine. You know, everything happens as my mother always says, everything happens for a reason. So it all, it all worked out. Uh, and I'm still like so proud of, especially the second record, the second skin record, you know, people often ask me like, what's your favorite of, of all the records you've been a part of? And, and that's usually on the, on the top of the list. There's just something about, there's something about that album that was so like we lived and breathed making that record. It took a year to write that record. And it was, it was an interesting period in my life where I kind of, for lack of lack of a better phrase, I kind of lost my mind. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you, and maybe it relates to this, like obviously you're very close to um, this, this scene of music that we were talking about. And a big part of that, sadly, you know, obviously it had a good creative impact to some extent, but it also was just devastating was drugs. Right. And was was that a part of, of your life at that point was just getting lost a bit in substances and booze and in the rock and roll cliches? Yeah, it was interesting because I didn't really I got caught drinking when I was a teenager. Interestingly enough, with my now drummer with Zia, who was also in the Mayfield Four, And so he thought it would be funny when when I turned 16 or 17 to just get me blitzed. Right. I get caught when I get home. It's a whole thing. My my stepfather gives me this amazing, you know, she's like, your dad wants to see you downstairs. He takes me down. I go downstairs in the basement. He's just waiting. And he gave the best, like, son, you, you know, I love you, but you really disappointed me lecture that was not like fire and brimstone and you're going to hell. It was more like, keep in mind, because he's, he's a Methodist minister. It was more just like, you really bummed me out, man. You just let me down. And hearing that from somebody that I respect so much was awesome because it kept me on the straight and narrow then for the next decade. <laughs> no drugs, no drinking. I mean, maybe a sip or two here and there, but that was about it. Then suddenly in my late 20s, it was just like the switch went off and I suddenly just went down the rabbit hole. And I don't know to this day what why that is um i, I had a to theory learn. i have a theory man i was chatting to somebody recently and they were saying it's a thing that happens in almost all our lives particularly if you're creative and you're you're open and you're vulnerable and it's why the 27 club and all of that is such a thing is because when you're that way in, like, artistically inclined apparently according to just whatever magic and ether exists in the world between the ages of 27 and sort of 30 31 is when we're susceptible and vulnerable to kind of losing our way and apparently mm. it's, it's like a thing. It's a pattern in, in the lifespan of, of, of us as human beings. I don't know that's kind of the extent of my knowledge of that theory, but apparently it is a theory and, and there's some, I believe there's some truth in that. There has, because I, I had a similar thing, nothing to like that extent because I wasn't a rock star, but 27, 28, 29, 30, they're hard times if you're not yet quote unquote successful, right? Because you're still trying to find your way. And yeah, yeah that's a great point. I did I didn't know that was even a theory, but I'll tell you what, I mean, that is, ex that is the exact window where everything kind of imploded for me and suddenly I'm self-medicating and I'm trying to find out who I am. And maybe it's because I was, I was a bit heartbroken with how things were going within, with, with my professional life. And there were certain things that weren't, um, you know, I was putting so much time and so much effort into writing these songs into, into a vision that I thought was I was proud of 
but yet it was being met with a lot of resistance. And so you start to take that personal and you start to question yourself and you start to question your vision. And then at the same time, there were, there were personal things going on. There were also issues that were suddenly kind of coming, bubbling to the surface. I never really dealt with because I lost my father at a young age. So suddenly that's there as well. So there was all this stuff. And then I, I discovered you know, certain substances and certain things and it would make the pain go away. And, and in a way, like, I feel like I had to go through all that. And I was, it, went, it was interesting because a lot of people who, who knew me growing up and knew me in my twenties, they were like, what is, what happened to that guy? You know, what's going on? And it was just from what you're saying, maybe that was just part of that natural process that I had to, I had to experience a few years later, I met my wife and that was, you know, I put all that aside and got my, got my shit together and, and it's been great ever since. And, um, yeah, it's just part of the, part of the journey, you know? Yeah, man. Well, it's, it's all part of the journey and it all feeds into it. And, and as you say, like you go through these struggles and these hard times and as long as you can make it through i mean the tragedy is when people don't but as long as you can make it through then i i'm always a believer that everything's going to be all right in the end you just got to keep right. go keep going i mean yeah yeah you, you really do you really do <laughs> you it's, can't it's, just it sounds up. simple doesn't it but it's like that's just the key to the happiness i think is just keep going keep pushing through and and something for for me about you which i just find you know infinitely inspiring and and also really intriguing is your just obviously 2000 percent commitment to your craft your profession your work ethic your drive you know you're one of the busiest i was chatting to your um good friend and your publicist ollie walkers the other day and um he was saying like your productivity and and output is so insane like people can be busy right and they can have like an album in one band and then perhaps a side project thing but yours are all of like the highest of high levels you know you're not just churning out like a thing in your bedroom that's like a little thing for fun every album you put out is like a legit you know masterwork and it's just like there's one after the other after the other where does that drive in you come from do you think miles do you just love the work or, or is there something a little bit more deep-rooted going on that, that keeps you keeping on in the way that you do? Because you, you're a fiend, aren't you? Oh, <laughs> I'm a little crazy. <laughs> uh, no, I appreciate that. I, I, I do love it. Look, I mean, it's really, um, it's such a source of, of uh, on so many different levels. It's cathartic. It's, um, it's when I feel most alive is when I'm creating. You know, I just, it just, there's just this switch that goes off where I'm truly content in that realm. And, and I think when you really love doing something, it, you, you end up seeing it or hearing it, it feel, you can feel that you can feel that, that, um, that is genuinely means something to the person creating it. And so hopefully that raises the the bar and makes it so that it's at a, a certain level every time you, you put something out. That's the the goal. But with that said, you know, there, there have certainly been some, <laughs> some, some misses along the way. And that's part of the process. And you know, that's, that's fine. Um, as someone once said, you can't hit it out of the park every time and, and that's fine. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, as I look back now and I, I see how everything's panned out. Um, I think what happened was because I went through that Mayfield four experience where 
I suddenly saw the during before I knew what was going to happen. I thought I may not get to do this. This may not be my thing in life. And that that's heartbreaking. So once it became obvious that I was going to continue to be able to make music by the time I was really, it was only until about five years ago when a friend of mine said you, cause I was always afraid it was all going to end. And he's like, you do realize you're going to be, you're going to be able to do this for probably as long as you want them. And once that really sunk in, it was just like, Oh, whew, well, that's good. I can keep creating great. And, and that, that was even more liberating. So it's when you're put in a position where you think you're going to lose what you love more than just about anything. And then you're, if you have a second chance, it's like, you never look back. You're just like, you stay focused and you, you will work as hard as it, as you possibly can to make sure that you're never in that situation where because you, you know how it feels to possibly lose it and that's that's a big source of the inspiration hell yeah well let me ask you this because this is an intriguing part of the story as well is before you joined and you know teamed forces with slash you turned him down twice <laughs> um and and i love that because you know so many people in that situation i guess like if the story is correct if i'm assuming so it's you were invited to audition for Velvet Revolver before it became Velvet Revolver and Scott was in the band. And then again, when Scott left, you were perhaps, there was a conversation there too. And both times you politely declined. I guess, first of all, why why did you not go for that opportunity in both those cases? Was the second time just Alter Bridge was happening and you were busy with that? or but the, Well, the first time, let's start there. What made you say no back in 2002? Uh, I th- I think I just didn't feel like I was ready for something th- that magnitude. Uh, you know, I I was so bummed out how things played out with with Mayfield, and I was I'd taken enough of that personally, thinking, well, maybe I just don't have what it takes. And suddenly, these this group of guys who I listened to, who were so important in my own musical development, reached out and like, wow. I mean, that's that I was flattered, but I also thought those are. That's a, that's a pretty big role to play. And, and, uh, you know, I spent time or like there were four songs they sent and I think I finished three of them and listened to them played. I think I played it for a friend as well and just decided, you know, I just don't think at this point I'm the right guy for this. And, and I just had to be honest, though it was a great opportunity, you know, talk about, you know, you come out of the situation where you're spending five years in limbo at a major label and then you get that opportunity. It would be really easy to say, well, but it's an opportunity. You got to go for it, you know, regardless of how you feel. That's and what I mean. Like, yeah, because you've got this drive and you, you're obviously, you know, you're, you're not work shy. You're chasing it all the time. But then seemingly like the, the golden ticket comes along and you go, no, it's not right. I love that, you know, to have that strength of character and conviction and you know, wisdom and, and whatever it is, just to know that it's the right move for you to say no. That takes, you know, I think a great perspective on the whole picture. Or you're just scared shitless. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's always that as well. I like your I like your assessment of the situation, but like maybe I just I just, you know, just just couldn't man up. No, I, I don't know. I think there was a certain element, though. I, I knew it, at that point, it just wouldn't, it, the timing wasn't right. And, and when they called years later, uh, once again, I was just, man, I'm flat. Because I, I I love those guys. I love that. I love I love what they do when they're together. But I knew with, with Alter Bridge that we would be reconvening. And I knew 
Velvet Revolver by that point was a big thing. And I thought, well, I don't see how I could make both things work. And it, what's interesting with Slash is that initially it was just the solo record and I just did a few songs. And then there was the idea of, hey, next summer, I'm going to tour for like three months or you want to go out and do that? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be fun. And it just was kind of like baby steps where eventually uh, suddenly we're like a like a thing and and it's now it's a you know we're committed to doing this and and so that was that was that was interesting how that all played out but you know it's all for the all for the best i guess again all for the right reasons and slash just must have had a hard on for you man because you turn him down twice and then he's like well i'm still going to get him on my record oh now i want to tour with him he must have just seen it in you from day one and that's pretty have you ever spoken about that have you ever gone you know did you ever get pissed off that i said no twice and did he kind of come to you and say i i've thought about you in in regards to to this thing for a while like has that been approached or have you just accepted the situation as how it is and i think we talked about it once there's one there's one funny conversation so i'm a bit of a like there's always the wheels always spinning up here like i'm an interesting my brain works in weird ways and it was probably 2000, I don't know, maybe 2008. And we were coming back from, was flying back from Europe and Slash was on the plane. So keep in mind that none of this, you know, we hadn't really talked or anything since 2002. And I somehow got it in my head that when we were standing at the, we got to, I think it was LAX and we're, he was with his, one of his sons and he was standing across from me and I thought, I wonder if he, I wonder if he knows that I'm the guy that turned, turned it, you know, the opportunity down and all that. And I started to just get kind of paranoid. Like, oh, he probably thinks I'm a jerk. Or, like, I just started thinking all this stuff. And so I tell him this, I'm like, man, I, you know, remember that time at LAX that you probably don't even remember. And, and he just sits there and he just quietly listens to me and I kind of unload and he just, he just, he just kind of pulls his sunglasses down, looks at me and he says, you got a lot of traffic going on up there, don't you? And and just puts his glasses back up and keeps playing. Like that was the moment where I was like, he's right. I just need to chill out, man. Like it was really funny. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a wonderful moment, but uh, we, we haven't really talked a ton about it. I think I just brought that little scenario up and I think he made him chuckle. So. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same as you, man. I've the most overactive brain imaginable, and uh, you, you need that person who's the opposite, right? To just cut through it and go, just chill out, dude. And then you're like, right. oh yeah, 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 good right. idea. <laughs> great, it's great to have. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/achieve today. Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello. Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I love everything you've done, man. But I must say, the year of the Tiger records, I think when I first, well, I don't think, I fucking know. When I heard that, I just thought this is the most, when you do something solo, it's always going to be more pure and you just by the nature of the fact that it's you know it's not a collaboration in the same way as you know slash or alter bridges it's just your vision obviously you have people who help you realize it but it's coming from you obviously the subject matter of the album was you know going to make it by its very nature very 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 personal but that record for you as soon as i heard it i was like oh my god this is like this is as pure a version of miles kennedy as you could ever hope to hear musically so different compared to what you know people might know you for almost like a country album in some ways certainly a lot of bluegrass and things like that going on that album blew me away man i know we're going to talk about the new one eventually and we will get there um but but just to backtrack to 2018 the year of the tiger just an exceptional record man you must be I hope, I hope you are very proud of that one i am and i appreciate hearing that i mean i i think that it, it was kind of a it was something I needed to do. And to be honest, I didn't know if anyone was going to get it because it was different from what I was known for, you know, known as this hard rock singer. And suddenly I make this record, which is definitely informed by a lot of American roots music and blues and, and country. And so it was, it was kind of a risk in that respect, but I, I needed to do it. And that's the point of making solo records is you have that luxury. You know, if it, it, there's no point in making a record that sounds identical to the other things I'm known for because then it becomes redundant and you just kind of water down, you know, the other, the other brands. So it's like slash without slash or like, yeah. Yeah. Alter bridge without Tremonti. And you're like, that's the last yeah. thing I want. This is going to be me. Yeah. Right. That's exactly right. And so that was, you know, there was, there was, though that was liberating and exciting. I, I will say that it was certainly a, Hmm. How do I say this? I it I was surprised as it as it the countdown started and I realized that I was actually going to release that record because keep in mind you're looking at somebody who recorded an entire solo record a few years prior and then basically decided not to release it. So would he do that again? Is that that voice again telling you no? Is that what yeah. it was? Yeah. That's what that is. It's that critical. You know, critical thinking is good, but critical thinking can also you know, kind of shackle you. And, and in a lot of ways it can shackle you to your own ego. And that's something that it was really important. That was a real important point in my life. After I made year of the tiger leading up to the release of year of the tiger, I had to do some real self-assessing about who I am. And look, I try, I've always tried to, to be, decent person and not be like uh, trying to live with you know, lead singer disease and all that. But I became aware that I certainly, I still had a certain amount of hu human ego. We all do. And so that thing was suddenly like, well, what if people don't like it? What if the, what if this blah, 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 blah. 
And I was like, I suddenly came to the conclusion I needed to work on myself and, and really put that part of me in the, you know, just stash it away. Cause it was, it was ultimately going to keep me from true self-expression, you know, and Which is und- what the album is, man, it's the purest version of that. Thank you. That's, yeah, that was, that was the goal. And, and, and when it came out, look, there were people who liked it, but there were also people who, you know, didn't get it. And you'd hear someone, what was it? Someone that said, and I don't read reviews and whatnot, but sometimes friends are, they, it's like, they want you to know this stuff. And someone said something like, Oh, he's, he's better in the other projects or something like that. And, and then it suddenly dawned on me like that that's that person who actually thinks that is not who you're trying to make this record for. Cause they're exactly. going to think that they they like what they like. It's just like, you know, it's like trying to take someone who loves, um, French food <laughs> and try to suddenly you want them to eat sushi and I don't want to eat sushi. You know, I like French food better or what, you know, that's a shitty analogy, but you get what, <laughs> what I'm going yeah, They, they want to just see you in your day job in Alter Bridge or Slash, and that's it. That's their lane. Exactly. They're happy in that lane, and they only want to hear you in that lane. But the thing is, as a creative person, you want to explore other lanes too. And what I find really frustrating about criticism of any form is if you don't like it, then you just listen to the records that you do like. They're still there. Nothing takes you know, your enjoyment of them away. So you just stay in right. that lane, enjoy that, and I'll go explore other lanes and you know, broaden my horizons exactly exactly that's exactly that's exactly right and um so yeah that was a learning experience and and i and also forced me to in, in trying to deal with that insecure whatever that guy is who ne- who needs affirmation be like all right we're gonna deal with you right now right so i started reading and i started listening to 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 lectures of people along the way who who were I felt like would be good at me figuring that guy out and dealing with that guy. And it became a really kind of enlightening period of my life. And I feel like I'm a, it's funny because since all of that, I feel like I evolved a bit, grew up a little bit and I'm much happier now because of it. So I'm, I'm grateful for, for that, that period for sure. Well, talking about evolution and growing and maturing and you know, all of that stuff, the last year has been that for hopefully a lot of us you know it's certainly been that for me i think when you remove the distractions both good and bad of of, you know life as as we knew it and and we'll know it again you know we're just indoors we've got nothing but time nothing but our own thoughts you have all the time in the world to you know get to the root of who you are and who you want to be and do the work and put the work in and you know this the new album the way it starts off for me just summarizes my feelings about humanity right now, here and now. Like, why can't we all just get along? Again, it's like one of those things that sounds so simple. Uh, I'm not sure whether that was the inspiration behind that track or that was what you were trying to say. But for me, it felt like such a pointed statement and a great way to start the album, which was just like, we're so divided right now. We're more divided than ever before. And hopefully, surely this experience that we've all collectively been through all over the world has maybe taught us that we do need to get on the same page with certain things, certainly environmentalism, certainly other very key important issues that plague our society and try and like turn the tide before it's too late. I don't know whether I'm reading way too much and projecting my own ideas onto your work, but that's what hit me as soon as I heard track one of the new record. 
I I think you you touched on most of it. I mean, it look was it um, a lot of times as a songwriter you're try, at least the way I uh, write. It, I'm painting with a pretty broad stroke, like I'm trying to cover a n- number of different things. And so, th- though it was written, I think it was written in March or early April of last year, and. The initial lyric is, you know, I still remember just like it was yesterday, the moment the gavel brought the fires and the raging, which was kind of harkens back to the um, the riots in L.A. back in 91 or 92. Yeah. And yeah, so, it, yeah, so it was, you know, that was where that came from. But then as I kept writing it, it was trying to be a little wider and a little more uh, touch, t- touch on a number of different things so that it'll be, t- you know, it can apply to different situations and keep things somewhat ambiguous. And um, little, not knowing that in a few months it was going to get really, you know, heated here in the States and, and, and around the world for that matter. But um, the law, yeah, the line, why can't we all just get along? It seems so simple. And so kind of like if you're a, uh, you know, I could see hearing that and going, come on, you know, it seems so simple, really like, but it, it should be, <laughs> you know, like we're all humans. We're all in this together. Let's just, let's find some compromise, find some common ground and let's try and work some things out and just ultimately engage with each other and talk with each other instead of everybody. I think what scares me and, I've, and it's reflected quite a bit throughout this record. I'm what concerns me is everybody's going to their corner and, and, and viewing the world through the prism they that caters to their already existing belief system. And, and what I learned is that things that I took as absolutes and sort in the sources, I would always go to, I was like, wait a minute here. What if, what if that's skewed? What if that's wrong? Well, maybe I should start rethinking things. See, I don't want to be manipulated. I don't want to be, um, you know, naive. And, 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 and with that said, you know, I, I kind of stepped away and tried to tried to reevaluate how I look at the world and through through which prism I would look at at it through. You know, so it was it was a real interesting period, and it's still an interesting period, and I'm still learning, and and I'm trying to stay optimistic. <laughs> I really am, um, and I, I think feel, that I feel really optimistic, and I feel like we've been given a chance here to reassess what actually matters. And, and as long as we're learning that and looking at it in that way, what does truly matter in life? Is it these possessions and these routines and these rituals and, you know, this nonsense, a lot of it that we hold on to, or is it really the people that we love? You know, is, is it the communities that we hold dear, whether that's music, live events, you know, or just your local neighborhood and like really just trying to almost bring the humanity back into the center of it all and look out for each other more again, like, let's just look out, let's have each other's backs a bit more. And not yeah. not be like attacking each other online just because somebody has a slight different opinion. It's like, well, let's let's hear them out. Let's listen with an open mind, and maybe we can get to a solution together. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems simple, right? You know, it just and that just seems so obvious to me. But I think because of the because of these things and mm-hmm. and, and 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 you know, social um, media and being able to hide behind. Um, your keyboard, keyboard, keyboard cowboys. Is that what they call them? Um, it's definitely, um, emboldened a certain aspect of our 
of our psyche to say things and do things that we normally wouldn't do if we were talking face to face. And that's a, that's kind of a bummer, but that's why I think things like this are so important. People just talking and it's beautiful. You know, I know, I know I, I actually really enjoy this. I, you know, people are like, man, you've been doing a lot of press and talking a lot. You must be just getting, no, because I like this. I feel like this stimulates my brain and it's different than sitting there on, you know, on some sort of social media app. I'm talking to another human being and I feel like it's helping me evolve as a human being. And, 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 and I think that when we were all, you know, hunter gatherers and we were traveling together in our little tribe or whatever it was, and we were sitting around the campfire at night talking to each other, you know, and engaging face to face. That's what we're, it's like in our DNA. That's what we're naturally supposed to be doing. We're not, this is all new. This is all new to our brain. Our brains aren't sure how to, how to, how to react. And what we're finding, unfortunately, is it's almost like it's going to the darkest places. It's, it's bringing to some degree, it's bringing out the worst side in some people. And it's creating a whole crazy dynamic within the context of society that, that I really am trying to stay optimistic that we're going to eventually figure out, we're going to get it sorted somehow. I hope. Dude, you just nailed it. And uh, do you know Jesse Leach from Kill Switch Engage? Have you two? I love Jesse. Jesse. He's great. So me and Jesse started a new podcast together two months ago called Stoke the Fire. And the entire premise of it is rather than like an interview like this, which is amazing. And this for me is the sole reason why I feel like I've made it through this last year is the connections that you make through these long form conversations with creative people about, you know, the stuff of life and what inspires them. It's connect. It's kept me so connected and grounded. But me and Jesse have started this other show, which is like this to the nth degree and it's the idea is we're sat around like a digital campfire until we nice. can do it for real life and we talk about faith spirituality you know addiction mental health hope survival creativity we need to get you on when you yeah, just said that, when you just said that, that. Then now i was like oh my god we need, to, we need to get him on stoke the fire and yeah jesse's just because his dad as well was a minister and and so there'd be so much common ground for discussion yeah. there and you know, theological debates, I'm sure, which could go. Yeah, <laughs> which can <laughs> open a whole, can, yeah, right, which can open a whole can of worms, but, but why not? You know, at least you're, you're discussing. And if you do it civilly, I think that that's a beautiful thing. Gosh, I can't tell you how many, you know, where I live, like I come from I have a little different view of the world and a lot of my f- friends. And so when things started getting really heated here a few years ago, suddenly we're like, you know, are having these arguments and it's kind of getting it's getting weird, right? And it had the potential for us to not be friends anymore. Yeah. But I realized it's like, wait a minute, I love this person. I've known this person for three decades. Okay, so we view the world differently, but we got we have some common ground here. You know, we both love the same movies and we love the same stupid humor. So let's let's talk this out. And I, what I found is that I really evolved a lot. I keep that seems to be the the the, uh, the kind of the general uh, uh, take on this conversation. Is you're finding how much I've, I've kind of grown up in the last few years, and and it's been it's been wonderful because I think that um, I, I wish it would have happened a lot earlier. Frankly, <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've been on this planet quite a while, and to finally hit some of these points in life at this at this stage, it's good. But, but yeah, man, it's, there's something about this. There's just something about us looking at each other and, and, and sharing ideas and thoughts and doing it in a, in a, in a mature and a respectful way is, is much better than, yeah, when you go on some of these sites and, 
or things you follow and then there'll be comments or even going on YouTube and you're like, how could people be so cruel to each other? It just, it kind of makes me scratch my head. I'm like, why, what, how, why do you get off on doing that? What's, what is that? What need does that fulfill in you? Maybe you weren't hugged enough as a child. Maybe that's what what I think it is. is. All they want is a reply. Because, you know, I monitor all the Stoke the Fire stuff and it's we've been getting some like we had a Russian Orthodox priest on the show talking about demonic possession. And we've had like a mystic on like a you know psychic and we've had some pretty far out discussions for like, you know, just kill switch fans. Right. We're, we're right. still growing the audience. And what's been amazing is everybody. Right. Like ninety nine point nine percent of the people who've been listening to these pretty wild conversations have been so supportive and accepting and i do think a big thing has changed in people this year with this kind of pandemic and with this loneliness i think now more than ever people really want to think about these bigger issues they want to connect more and i've always wanted that i've always been that way inclined but i feel like now it's like it's you know it's a groundswell feeling um and i do know in my heart of hearts talking about being excited and optimistic for the future i know in my heart of hearts that when things do reopen when the time is right that the shows that are going to take place, you know, the communal gatherings, the experiences, I'm getting fucking goosebumps thinking about them now. It's going to be so electric and vital uh, um, and like axis shiftingly awe inspiring Um, as a performer who's somebody, you know, who makes a living on the road in several projects all the time. I bet you are, you know, chomping at the bit to get back out there. Right. And and I am, you know, it's going to be good when you do. Yeah, I am. It's it's going to be kind of like <laughs> this is this is going to be sound crude. But it's kind of like when you haven't had sex for a really long time, yeah. and then you know it's just it's it's going just to make be make sure you make it last though. Yeah, saving yeah, the moment. exactly. <laughs> that's that's exactly what I'm going to think about baseball. <laughs> no, oh, this is going to get way too detailed and weird. Uh, but 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 <laughs> bring it back. Let's bring it back. Bring it back. Um, Reeling it. What if my mom out see there? This? Getting back right, get out back there, out man, there. in front of your crowds who've been missing you as much as you've been missing them. Yeah, I mean that's it's so beautiful. It's gonna be, it's gonna be, it's gonna be wonderful. It's gonna be great. I can't wait. Are you happy with the new album? Um, it's it sounds very different, and I love it. I don't think I love it as much as the first. And I'm just being completely honest with you. It's just that's because good. I like honesty. It's just because I loved that fucking first solo album. Like that for me will forever be at the top tier of of all your body of work for me i just adore it so much song turning the stones Um, but i love the new one and you've gone with more it's still very bluesy still very roots orientated but obviously the amplification and you know the the groove and the kick is back did um elvis do this record as well he did yeah he did die in the alt bridge slash solo stuff i love Um, elvis he's just he's great you know, and he's a dear friend and he's, he's, uh, he's fun. I mean, he's a total, like, he'll keep you laughing when you're making records and it, it, he's look, he's just, he's, he's, he's once it's like a one-stop shop, you know, he's great. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy with it. it. It's certainly something that, um, it's definitely more of a plugged in affair and it, I, as a guitar player, it was the record I needed to make because I, I wanted to do more. Um, imp- improvising and soloing and and uh and i felt like with year of the tiger you know it had kind of set up this uh foundation for what the solo thing would be so it, the trick was just trying to integrate certain elements of that so that it didn't sound like it made a you know suddenly he's making a polka record it's like oh yeah well there's the lap steel again there's some acoustic and there's the mandolin again so it's it was like, like a balancing act and if you were to listen just to like the first track on 
on Ides of March. You yeah, know, that yeah. is obviously way more rock. But then as the record as you know, kind of uh, it weaves around and you have more of the acoustic elements here and there. So, yeah, it was it was it was really good to have that outlet during these uh, strange times to be able to lock myself away and, and write and demo. And, uh, you know, I it was a different process in that year. The Tiger was the demos were just done with acoustic guitar. And here's here are the songs. And we got in the studio and built the arrangements with this because I had so much time. I was like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and do, do the arrangements and everything here and, and, and then hand, hand over kind of the, the sonic vision to everybody. And then we'll recreate it in the studio. So in that respect, it was a little different, but, uh, but, uh, it was, it was fun. It kept me out of trouble. So. What's the, what's the main refrain in worried mind? Like, cause that's obviously the last song and the way you circle it back. I can't remember the chorus or like the, the main sort of hook, but it felt just like, oh, we brought it right back to the start and wrapped it up really nice. I mean, is this again a concept album or is this not quite as focused as the first in that way? It kind of is. It, it is. Kinda, right? I, yeah, I had somebody tell me, it's funny, I had this really cool bus driver tell me who was, a, who was also a musician and he told me after Year of the Tiger, he says, don't, don't go making another concept record on this next record. And But for some reason, I couldn't help it. It was just, because because it was all most of it was written in a in a very finite period of time that's what was informing me that becomes the narrative so it kind of is a concept record and the concept was how we a reflection of what we were all experiencing during the beginnings of the lockdown because we didn't know where things were going it would be a different i think it would be a different record if i had just started it later in the year but yeah, because yeah. i started it right at the beginning where there was so much uncertainty so all of that is documented and it's palpable how you can hear my like on a song like Ides of March, how concerned I was for the dark possibilities. And so in that respect, I'm really grateful that I did it when I did it and that I had an outlet because I don't know what I would have done had I not been able to kind of get that off my chest, you know? And so that's the beauty of having a, you know, some sort of, whether you're a painter or whatever it is, if you have a way to express yourself, it it's a, it's really beneficial to the to the to the human mind. Well, and from the consumer point of view as well, right? Like the amount of records and, and like stand-up comedy specials and films and TV shows, like art and art alone is so solely responsible for keeping people's hopes and dreams and sanity intact during this time which makes the situation of, you know, the music industry with where we're at now all the more, you know, saddening to some extent because it's like, does the people in power not see how important these things are to, to everybody's well-being? Um, and, yeah, I mean, the Ides of March as well, right? That Both titles, super evocative and fascinating. Year of the Tiger, Ides of March. Ides of March, is that to do with the whole, like, Roman date of debt collection? And is, is it something to do with that? Um, I wonder if you could explain the title. I know that's sure. a very crass, obvious question, but the title does fascinate me. Sure. Yeah. So that yeah, I thought about that as I was taking a walk uh, probably last March and, and, you know, trying to figure out what this record was going to be about. And to me, that phrase, you know, beware of the Ides of March. So it's imply it's a, it's a prophetic, it almost implies a certain doom because we know how that played out in the, in, in, in the context of the, uh, the Julius Caesar, you know, realm. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. yeah. And, and I, so I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was appropriate because talking about 
the uncertainty and there were there were starting to become a faction of people who weren't taking things as seriously and so um being someone who was taking it seriously it was, it was weaving that into the narrative like well what if this is you know what if this becomes something very very dark and very bad and then as the song plays out you, know, you get to the coda and then that's where that level of optimism comes in that things are going to work out if, if we can achieve certain things as humans um you know, the key line for me it's the most important line on the record is um cool heads prevail in times of change and i think that things are changing so rapidly and there's so much coming at us that sometimes it's hard to keep your cool you know and take things in stride not to tie everything together here with this record but but it became a real reminder to me to to do so and and man it's become such a i keep reinforcing this but it's so important for me some of these songs to write them and then there's something about taking a phrase and putting it to a melody and something your brain just assimilates it differently and remembers it and is able to call it when it needs it and uh you're able to utilize it in your day-to-day life and uh it's really been helpful for me so i hope with that said that some of these songs will help a listener if they're if they're feeling uh that they that uh things are getting a little too amped up whatever it is um that this will help calm their anxiety and maybe help help them maintain a certain level of perspective you know that would be beautiful well, you look at the ancient traditions of songwriting, right? And like, you know, fables and, and folk songs and messages are buried into medley, uh, melody, sorry, for that exact reason, to be remembered and applied in day-to-day life. And, and yeah. that, I think, does get lost sometimes in, in, you know, the more modern musical landscape. So I love that you're all about that. Just like, let's take a mantra here, put it in a hook, and then hopefully that'll help people like, oh, yeah, when they're out singing the song, the words sink in and they go, okay, let's apply this to my life. And, you know, let's try and live up to this idea. Right. Exactly. That's exactly, yeah, exactly. Perfect. Hell yeah, dude. Miles. <laughs> what an absolute treat catching up with you, dude. After five years away. Um, it's been amazing. Thank you so much. And we, we got to get you on, on the stoke, the fire with, with Jesse and me. Yeah. Uh, I would Jesse love got that. Your details. I'll get, I'll get through Ollie if not, but as Jesse got yeah. you. Yeah, Jesse's got my deeds. Yeah, for Richard. sure. All right, well, we'll be seeing each other in another Zoom-like scenario very soon. And um, yeah, congratulations on the new record. Congratulations on just what's been an amazing career, man. It's been an Thank amazing you. ride, and it's far from over yet. So um, I can't Fingers wait. crossed. <laughs> can't wait to see what comes next and next and next and next from you, man. I know you're going to remain busy, whatever happens. So yeah, Thanks, big up, brother. dude. Have a great day. You too, Matt. Take Thanks, care. Thanks, Miles. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 